Welcome to the podcast. Hello, <laughs> Father Peter. I am heartbroken for you. That is the the saddest, sickest, most most unhealthful greeting to the podcast. Father Peter is under the weather. I am. I actually literally. Himself. In in two ways, I'm under the weather. Um, we're having our debate tonight, uh, the the day that we're recording the podcast, and uh, uh, and of course, when we have our debate, uh, no matter what, it yep. snows. No, it's true. If you want a snowstorm in Colorado, have the Aquinas Institute host a major event, and you will get a snowstorm. <laughs> I am actually still. I am not in Colorado. I'm facing a huge downpour. Um, in Florida, some gale force winds are blowing into the condo. I'm in Florida. We actually just adopted a baby, a uh, newborn little baby girl welcomed into our family a couple uh, couple weeks ago. So we're finishing the adoption process, and we're going to head home soon. So I actually have to watch our great debate um, from a distance. Yeah, so I'm he has, he has really big binoculars is I actually do. how he's They're doing really it. really powerful. Yeah, I mean, I lent him two telescopes. And he's going to put one eye on each of them. Or oh, he's going to use his iPhone. Put them one back to back. Would that strengthen them? Oh, oh yeah, no. yeah. You just double it up, man. Double it up. It. Double your pleasure. Double your fun. Double mint gum. Double mint gum. Well, good pull. Yeah, well, you guys, dude. we have missed you. We've actually been um, not live for the last couple of weeks. And so uh, I'm happy to be live again. Um one thing or another, babies Re- being born and technical difficulties have prevented us from having a live podcast. Even though I tried to yeah. pawn off last week's as a as a brand new show, only the most discerning of you knew it was <laughs> knew it was a forgery. But that's yeah. all right, dude. That's uh, that's the thing is that uh, you uh, we are live again, which is resucito. I mean, we have been resurrected. We have we can and sing it's, the song. We have. It has been a long time since we've done the distance <laughs> podcast. We, um, I know. I feel like we tried last week, but we but tried the audio difficulties was we were ho- was a horrible experience. But we used to do a lot of the distance podcasts, where I would be in I mean, one place, you would be in another, and we'd make the technology happen. I know. So we're, we're, we're doing it, man. We're we're doing it, and it's awesome. And uh, it's funny because behind my computer is my aquarium, which I love very much. And I got a couple clownfish in there, and they're just swimming away, loving. Oh, life. you have fish in there now. I have fish, and I've been I'm gone going for to so long. I know I'm going to Reef Stock, which is uh, which is a uh, uh, an aquarium convention um, <laughs> that happens yearly uh, in Aurora. Uh, Do you want me to Saturday. smuggle some fish back from Florida for you? Yes, please. That would be that would be very nice of you. And some reefs. We have a number of shells we're bringing home, so maybe Dude. you can have one. Well, we have uh, we have some fairly uh, compact readings this week. Um, for the eighth Sunday in Ordinary Time. Our first reading is coming from the book of Isaiah, a little shorty verse. Isaiah chapter 49, verses 14 through 15. Then our response is uh, Psalm 62, 2 to 3, and 6 to 9, uh, with yeah. the response circle coming from 62, 6a. Yes, 62, 6a, yeah. That's a lot of numbers you just threw out. Our- I do, our second reading is coming from 1 Corinthians. We're still chipping away at 1 Corinthians. Uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. And then uh, our gospel today is Matthew 6, 24, 34. 24 to 34. Oh, yes. We're deep, deep, deep into the Sermon on the Mount. Dude, that is deep of us. 
Yeah, I have a I have an interesting take on it this week, which we'll see uh we'll see if it works out or not. You never know. I oh. have all these ideas, and you never know how they're going to pan out once they come out of my mouth hole. So we'll see. When <laughs> yeah, we... you never know. I never know what you're going to say, man. I never know what you're going to. I can usually predict what you're going to say. No, that's not really. True. No, I can predict the ways that you will make fun of me uh. from week to week, but I don't know <laughs> how you will tie them together. See, that's the thing. I'm always the one who just brings out the nerdy information, and then you bring these profound spiritual, enlightening ideas that makes everything concrete. That's why you're the priest. And I'm just the lowly biblical scholar. Dude, yes. Okay. So, um, Isaiah. Um, we, I mean, we're, we're always in Isaiah. Right? Dude, that's the, that's the question. It's like, seriously, Lord? Um, Holy Church of God, when do we ever get out of Isaiah? Never. Rarely. Sometimes we do. But, I mean, it's great. Isaiah really is. It's, it's because it's so stinking rich and really long. <laughs> so there's lots of material. There is um, lots. <laughs> but we've talked about the general schema of Isaiah lots before. And just I just want to mention it again. Basically, the, the nutshell of Isaiah split into two parts, right? First half of the book, chapters 1 through 39, it's all the bad news. It's called the book of, uh, sometimes it's called the book of desolation or the book of judgment. Basically, it's the, the theme is Israel has sinned against God. She's broken the covenant. Now she's going to be punished. And then starting in chapter 40 through 66, I think, it's all called the book of comfort, or the book of consolation, which basically says, okay, yes, you've broken the covenant. You've sinned grievously. Um, you've been punished, but now God is going to restore you. And what's really interesting about the book is that, so there's this, you know, bad news, good news. But what's kind of beautiful about the book, because it, it relates to our spiritual lives in the same way, it's not clean. There's not clear, clear, distinct, clean lines because in the book of woe or the book of desolation, there's a lot of good news kind of embedded in it. And in the yep. book of consolation that talks about all that God is going to do in the future, there's a lot of reminders of the bad. And it's, it's this, you know, it's a very it's Christian. Very, it's very Ignatian in, in the fact that Ignatius is always talking about how, you know, in the good times you have to remember they're bad, and in the bad yeah. times you always have to remember the, that there's good. That you, that you that we want to think in universals, but but yeah. in fact Isaiah is helping us to say, nope, dude. You, you in the good time you take the good times, you take the bad times, you take them both, and there you have the facts of life, man. The facts of Isaiah. The facts um. of Isaiah, <laughs> and 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 Tootie. And I was gonna, I was trying to tie Tootie in there somehow, but I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't find a way. Um, it, it's also the scheme of Christianity. I mean, this is the passion, right? You can't have Easter Sunday without Good Friday, and you can't have Good Friday without remembering that Easter Sunday is coming. So it, they're, they're always the both and, which which actually is really precisely what this particular, again, very, very short reading is about. And I, I, you know, the best thing to do whenever you don't know what to say about a particular passage is to read the context, right? And, and so I just did a little digging um, back and forth on this. And I just want to mention the very beginning of chapter 49, just to kind of put all of this in context. Again, we're in the book of consolation. So Isaiah has gone th and it, the timeline of Isaiah, I won't even go into it because Isaiah is all over the board. It spans this period from the Assyrian attack, you know, long before the exile itself through, you know, through the end of the exile, looking ahead to the restoration, all these things. I mean, the time frame that Isaiah actually holds is, is huge and vast, and so it's kind of all over the place. But the Book of Consolation, again, is looking forward toward this time that has not happened yet, basically saying, okay, life is hard. God has punished you. You're losing Jerusalem. You're going to lose the temple. There's going to be really all this desolation, but God is going to restore everything. And so in that kind of sense of restoration, looking forward, 
um, there's this line, there's this chapter 49, it begins by saying, it's God speaking to Israel, saying, listen to me, O coastlands, and hearken you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb and from the body of my mother. He named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the, in the sh- shadow of his hand, he hid me. He hid me like a polished arrow in his quiver. He hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. So, well, actually, let me read on the next line. This is verse four. It says, but I said... I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and for vanity. Yet surely my right hand is with the Lord and my recompense with God. So there's this, you see this discussion, this internal discussion happening between Israel and God. God saying, no, Israel, I love you. I formed you from the womb. I gave you, you know, in the the next lines, it says, from the womb, I knew you and I formed you and I planned for you and I had this future and a hope for you. And Israel's coming back saying, but, but life is hard and things stink and you let us get beat up and you let these things get stripped away from us. How can that be true? How can you really love us? How can we be your chosen people if you allow all these terrible things to happen to us? And what God is kind of constantly saying is, you got to trust me. You have to go through this bad and I'm allowing you as a good father to go through this punishment, to understand these consequences so you can see the glories that I have on the other side, because I've known from the beginning, the route that I have laid out for you. You're smack in the middle of it. It's the whole, you can't see the forest for the trees. When you're in the middle of it, you can't see exactly what the route looks like. But God's saying, I know the route. And you're right in the middle of the hardest part. And you're complaining and you're whining and you cannot see a way of understanding. Yeah, no, I get it. This is going to be really, really good. But God is, and and then when we kind of jump ahead to what we are going to be reading this week, Oh, where was it? There's, oh yeah, it's in, it's before that. It's in verse six. This was my favorite line from kind of reading the context. So in the very beginning of chapter 49, God said, okay, you're going to be my servant. You're going to be this little bow, this arrow, this polished arrow that I keep in my quiver. You're my special possession, my segula in Hebrew, my special possession. But then he goes on verse six. He says, but it's too light. It's too small a thing that you should just be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. So in the context, historically, Israel's looking at her own destruction. All the tribes are scattered. <laughs> the, the family's kind of a disaster. People are being scattered and taken away and brought off into slavery. And Israel is very concerned about Israel. And Israel is thinking, wait, we need our family back. We need our nation and our kingdom to be restored. And God's like, no, 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 that's way too small. I mean, that's fine. Yeah, I'll restore Israel, but it's way too small. What I want to do is give you as a light to all the nations, because through you, I want my salvation to reach the ends of the earth. You're sitting here worried about the short-term disaster that's happening around you. What I've got in mind is the long-term glory and salvation that I'm going to bring through you. You have no idea, Israel, how much bigger this is than the problems that you're facing right now. I have glories that you've never even dreamed of. And then he goes on through, and then we get we catch up to our reading this week, which again is, is where it says, but Zion said, no, 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 that can't be. The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. You can't tell me that you have this big, beautiful plan because right now I feel pretty forgotten. And God responds and he says, can a woman forget her infant, a mother forget her infant with, uh, and be without tenderness for the child in her womb? Even should she forget, I will never forget you. I was dwelling on that this morning. Again, I'm, you know, we just had a baby. Yeah, just, you just adopted. I mean, like this is really 
wild, you know? I mean, like, I was thinking about you in the same capacity, just going, wow, Scott, this is... I mean, no, she doesn't. Uh, I mean, and like this is, I mean, I'm really interested to hear how you can respond uh, to this question. What's well, the, it's the, it's a very difficult question because, and again, thinking of it from the point of view of adoption, which is our sort of family story. Can a mother forget her child? I mean, this is a question that I think our family is going to have for the rest of their lives. Like, was I forgotten? Was I abandoned? And the answer, of course, to that is no. There was a heroic, heroic choice that was made. But then you can look beyond my family story and, and look at, you know, for Pete's sake, you know, the, the scourge of abortion and what's going on. You can be like, well, actually, we live in a world in which, yeah, that happens all the time. Yes, I can see how a mother could do that. And you have this response, and I, you know, I don't know what they're thinking in the time of Israel because it wasn't the problem that it is now, although it did exist. But you have, got, you know, could, you could look at this skeptically and say, well, yeah, mothers do this all the time. Mothers do abandon their children. They do forget about this. What are you saying, God? And God's response is exactly that can happen among you. It cannot happen for me. I cannot do that. I will not do it. Is yeah. it, it is against my very nature. It is not yep. even a possibility to do that. And it's meant to kind of make us dwell and say, yeah, we can do all sorts of these disastrous things, but God's perspective somehow is bigger than that. And again, even from my own family position of adoption, I mean, I have to remind my children that no, whatever it seems, the the bigger story is larger than this and more beautiful than this. And there is a plan from the beginning, even though it took some hardships to get through. And there's a lot of heartbreak and there's there's brokenness in that. But God's plan through all of that brokenness is so much bigger and brighter and fuller than anything we could ever imagine. And I hope for the day that we can all look back and be like, oh, that's why the Lord allowed all this stuff to happen. So that he could do blank through us or through my children or whatever that is. That's what the Lord is getting at. He's saying, you don't understand how big what I have for you is. And again, from the perspective of the Old Testament, the Old Testament people can never fully understand what God is up to in the New Testament, except for hindsight, which, of course, is 2020. Yeah. I mean, you also raised the question of abortion and the fact that, yeah. I, I mean, when you have people talk to people who go and help people through healing in that, yeah. the, the these ladies and these men, they don't forget. They yeah. They don't forget. I mean, like they, they do actually have to come back and say, okay, hold on. This is something like th- they yes. may attempt, but in fact, the human heart recognizes and knows and loves. And so like, so th- there may be, a, there, there may be somebody who wants to, but even then, I mean, it's really hard for the human heart to, to, uh, I mean, we're made for each other. We're made for community. We're made for that, that beautiful experience of love. And so, um, yeah. yeah, so I, but, but at the same time, like, even if that, even if that could happen, let's say that yes, even right. the, the Lord's like, okay, even in the most extreme of cases, then yeah. I myself am the Lord and I will not. But and like, that's, is, that's really powerful. But your point is actually really important is that, you know, you can make the decision, but it is impossible to forget. You can't actually erase that. That, nope. That's not a possibility. And that, that's actually, that's an important perspective to kind of keep in mind. I haven't thought about that. And, and, and I mean, and, I think uh, there's something to that. It, even even when they look, like, uh, the moms often um, hold the DNA of their children within their bodies for, I don't know. Do you remember hearing about that? Have you ever heard about that? Yes. 
Yeah, I don't yeah. remember where I heard it, but yeah, yeah, it's it's not something that you can. Yeah, literally, it's there. It's it's you're stuck with it. Yeah, yeah. like so. So there's like something beautiful, which which is also speaks of how the Lord holds us. I mean, like yes, he absolutely. not only did he make our DNA, but yeah, like <laughs> which yeah. which is the segue. I mean, exactly what you said that what you said there is the segue <laughs> into Psalm, into Psalm sixty two, right? So what's the response to the human heart that is? that is holding this fear and brokenness and <laughs> worry and skepticism of, of all of these things that the Lord is trying to convince us of. Well, the response Oriel in Psalm 62, rest in, uh, rest in God alone, my soul. Only in God is my soul at rest. And from him comes my salvation. I was reading the rest of this Psalm and um, at least my translation in the RSV, it says the, the very first line of Psalm 62, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. There's something about living in the midst of brokenness, living in the midst of trial like Israel is in the moment that Isaiah is prophesying to her that the only sane response is silence and saying, I I don't know how to get through this. I'm not sure how to even believe the words that God is speaking to me through the prophets. What's the response? I'm just going to be quiet for a while. And I, I, there's something to that, and the fact that, that we don't we don't actually get it in the part of the psalm that we're using as the response. But a few times it keeps reiterating, "My soul waits for God in silence." Sometimes the only way to actually get through trial is to silence oneself, to kind of tune out the noise and the yelling. I mean, most of the noise in my life and the causes for my anxiety are coming from right within inside of me and these voices that are telling me it's not going to be okay and that all these, mm. you know, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Absolutely. What is the response? Well, traditionally, the church's response has always been silence. The church understands this profound need that we have for us. That's why we have th- things like silent retreats and, and communities of brothers and sisters who dwell in silence because there's something very powerful and very biblical about that. Only out of silence does peace actually come. This is the story of Elijah, remember, in Second Kings, when he's sitting and, and he's looking for God's voice, and there's an earthquake, and there's a fire, and there's wind, and God is in none of that. It's in the silence, the, the still, small voice, the still, small breeze. And that's, that's the psalm responding to the question that's arisen in uh, Isaiah 49, I think. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it's funny the, the the movie Silence and the book Silence has come out, and that's been this big question. And and I think yeah. that there there there's a danger in that movie. Like I think that there's a lot of really important, beautiful themes in that movie. But mm. one of them, it's trying to deal with the silence of God and saying, okay. does God actually uh, is God responding? Like what is what like like yeah. Do we respond to the silence of God with the silencing of our own hearts? Like, because mm. sometimes we like the truth is, is we're like, God, I don't know how you're speaking, and yeah. and I, I, how do we like, like silence is the I, I really think is the only way way where we can begin to attune our hearts to s- learn how God is speaking in those moments because yes. God is sovereign and the ruler of all reality and, and his channels of communication are anything that he wants. There's nothing <laughs> yeah. that, that, that prevents God from speaking to the depths of our hearts, except yes. for our receptivity to trying to hear how God is speaking to the depths of our hearts. And so, 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 so in a certain sense, it's like it's like mm. si- silence is the only proper response to the silence that we hear. 
um, is, you know, that, yeah, I'm going to attune my heart to how God wants to speak to me. So that's really good. I want to, I want to grasp onto what you just said there, because I think we can use that as a segue into first Corinthians. Um, both the idea, Oh, what did you say? I was trying to listen to you and hold on to a line that you said. I think, I think you said something like God uses any means that he wants to, right? To, yeah, yeah. To he, he, all channels of communication are open to God. Like he, he can communicate however he wants through whatever means he wants in all of reality. He's sovereign. Even the likes, even the likes of the Corinthians. <laughs> who okay. are, if you recall what we've been talking about the last few weeks with the with the culture in Corinth, the Corinthians were, I mean, they were the people that everybody hated and made fun of and mocked and, and, you know the 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 guy that is too big for their own britches and kind of thinks that they're that they're this great thing that they're not that the world totally mocks part of the point of first corinthians is paul it's a funny thing part of the point of the book of first corinthians is paul trying to silence the corinthians who are very big on their own ideas of their rhetoric and their words and their wisdom and their philosophies and how great they are and Paul's response is, you have to silence that because you're not as great as you think you are. And once you silence those things, those words, those rhetoric, this great philosophy that you think you have, once you can bring that all to silence, then God can even use the likes of you to communicate forth his grace, which is what's the most shocking thing. Because I, I, I think you've got to be thinking if you're the Corinthians I don't know. I mean, I, I from what I'm understanding, the society in Corinth, in, in Corinth I mean, they, they are so, they have such little guy syndrome. You know, they're, they're just yeah. they're, they're just the kid down the street who, who knows that they don't get any credit for anything. They want to be cool. They want to be respected. And I think they've got to be thinking to themselves, man, if we don't have this image of ourselves that we're holding on to so tightly, then what do we have? We're left, I mean, we all do this, right? We all have this image of ourselves, whether it be our identity in our work or or all these places that we put our identity that we're so terrified. If I lose that place where I've put my identity, I've got nothing. I don't know who I am anymore. You know, if this relationship or if this job or whatever it is, if I lose that, I'm nobody or I don't know who I am. And Paul is saying, okay, Corinthians, I want you to actually strip yourself and silence yourself of the thing that you think makes you you. Realize that that's actually yeah. not what makes you great. And then allow God to work through that emptiness and that silence. And the most embarrassed, embarrassing, shamed, you know, mocked culture in society will then be the means. I mean, who of us doesn't read and study and proclaim in the Christian tradition the books of Corinthians? I mean, they are some of the best, most well-known, fruitful books in the Bible that are preached Absolutely upon constantly. Are. And for the Corinthians yeah. to, to you know have to look back and say, wow, I didn't think we were going to be that influential. I mean, these are the people that want influence. Their influence comes through their self-emptying and, and Paul challenging them toward this. And now they're one of the most recognized books and groups of people in all of the biblical tradition, despite themselves, not yeah. for the reasons that, well, that they wanted yeah. to be recognized. Well, absolutely. Because it, it's actually when I am weak, then I am made strong. It's that, exactly. that they received so much wisdom because they were out there. It's kind of like Peter, 
it's yeah, like it's, it's like Peter is Peter. passionate and kind of o- over the top, but but it's precisely in the fact that he's trying and he's working and he's trying to work it out and be present to what the grace of God is doing that he gets the wisdom and by him receiving the wisdom and the word coming to the weakest and the ones who are in real need that word word that wisdom comes out and is is made known it's it's really interesting I, i just think that there's so many parallels it's like it's like god calls all men sinners so that he may offer them his redemption like absolutely we yeah, we are called sinners so that we can be offered the redemption of God. And like, and the redemption of God, the glory is always going to pour out in a much more massive, significant capacity. I mean, like, yes. like, 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 it's kind of like, like in the Old Testament, we're, we're receiving all of these things. And Isaiah, as we were listening today, it's like they're waiting. They're like, hold on. Okay, God won't forget me. But it, it's, it's not God won't forget you. God is is like processing all of these amazing things that you yeah. can't yet receive, and that when you do receive them, you're gonna go like, "Wow, man, this is it! Like, I'm in! Like, yeah. oh my goodness! Like, what we're doing right now, and like yeah. proclaiming the Corinthians, saying, "Yep, absolutely, God is God is God, and we are His servants." and God be praised that he takes my weakness and he turns it into the most beautiful expression to help all people of all time with everything that they got going on. And this is, I mean, this is just to, just to put it and make it concrete for you, you guys who are listening. I mean, this is exactly what Paul is saying. I just want to read a couple lines of this because this is Paul's instruction. He's basically saying, look, brothers and sisters, this is how you should regard us. We are servants of Christ. And remember, this is a trap that they're even trying to put Paul into, that he is, um, you know, that he, he's this big, grandiose, big, powerful leader. And, you know, they're, they're rallying around these personalities. And they're like, oh, I'm, I'm a Paul Christian, or I'm an Apollos Christian, or I'm a Kephas Christian. He's like, no, we are what we are. We are servants. We are not the be-all, end-all. We are not the glory. We are servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And he says, now it is, of course, required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. It doesn't concern me in the least that I be judged by you or by any, any human tribunal. I don't even pass right. judgment on myself. I'm not conscious of anything against me, but I do not thereby stand acquitted. It, the one who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, do not make any judgment before the appointed time until the Lord comes, for he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness, and he'll manifest the motives of our heart. And then everyone will receive praise from God. He's saying, I don't care about what the world thinks about me. I don't care what you think about me. All I care about is what the Lord thinks about me. Just like the tradition of Isaiah who preceded me and Jeremiah and the prophets who were not very popular, but they allowed themselves to be emptied so that God could be glorified through them. He's like, I don't care about being judged by you or by anybody else because the Lord will bring to light what is hidden. Your greatness, O Corinthians, my greatness, St. Paul says, is hidden from you. It's not because I'm a great speaker or some great rhetorician or this wonderful, amazing preacher who's saying these beautiful, profound words. It's because God is glorifying this. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he calls himself a jar of clay, an earthen vessel that does not look like much, but it holds this infinite treasure inside of it. And so, really, the, the, the theme of that reading is, choose today who you are going to serve. This is that line from mm. Joshua, and then again in Deuteronomy. Choose today, are you going to serve your own self-interest, your own image of yourself, what you think you want the world to look at you as, or are you going to serve God and God alone? Choose this day who you're going to serve, Corinthians. That's what Paul is saying to them. 
um, they don't always make the right decision. That comes out in Second Corinthians. <laughs> the things got kind of ugly. But this is what he's telling him. And again, but we know the end of the story because the Corinthians now are glorified in these books that we have and have been passed down in the Christian tradition for thousands of years. And we know what they did, and we know the glory that lay deep inside of them. And that's, that's really beautiful. And it's that so beautiful. is a good segue into Matthew 6. And I, I want to kind of take it in a direction I wasn't expecting to originally, but I, I, I want to th- just throw, throw, out, throw out something about this. Okay, talk to me, man. Give me, give, propose something to me. Well, here's the, and, and it's not really a proposition. It's just a different perspective. Um, it, we're in Matthew 6, so again, we're, we're pretty deep into the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, again, it's one of those, it's just one of those passages in the Bible that is so familiar to so many of us, and we've heard this stuff a million times, and it can, it can kind of begin to sound trite, and, and I, I don't know, just, just old. No one can serve two masters. You can't serve God and mammon. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you eat or drink. Look at the birds in the sky. Look at the, look at the lilies of the field. God clothes them. Don't worry. It's okay. I mean, th- these are the themes that come out in this, this passage for Jesus, right? Don't worry about these things. God's going to provide for you. That's all really great news. Okay. Yay. Don't, Wonderful. Don't worry. Be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. And sometimes we... <laughs> And sometimes we kind of leave it at that. Like, oh, yay, don't worry, be happy, everything's nice. But but it's more to that. So here's a, a schema I want to give you on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and I, I believe we probably talked about this. The Sermon on the Mount in Matthew comprises three chapters. It's Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And I think you can divide the way that Jesus gives that sermon to three major parts. So in the Jewish tradition... There was a, um, a rabbinic teaching, and I'm sure you've heard this before, Father Peter. There was a rabbinic teaching that said when God created the whole universe, he founded the world on three pillars, on three principles. And um, they are the, the, if you translate them into English, they're the three W's. But um, in Hebrew, th- this tradition said that God founded the world on these three principles. There was the Torah, God's word to us, the words that he speaks to us, the scriptures that he gives us. God's word, the Torah. The second is avodah, and avodah means worship. So the first principle of the world is God's word. We listen to what he says. The second principle is once we hear what God says, we respond to it. We serve him. We avodah. Avodah in Hebrew, it's a fascinating word because it can mean either worship or serve. It can be worship or serve. So when Jesus says no one can serve two masters, he's saying in Hebrew, at least, no one can avodah, no one can avad two masters. This um, mm. word, kind of its home base for meaning, I think comes from the book of Exodus. And it's one of the major themes of the book of Exodus because Exodus is the story about a God who is asking Israel to avad him, I want your worship, and a Pharaoh who is demanding a different kind of avad worship or service from Israel. He wants them to build bricks and build pyramids and stuff. God wants them to give their hearts. It's the same word. Choose this day who you will serve. And so that's principle number two. And then the third one, 
the the third W that the world is founded on. It's it's the Hebrew word gemilut chesed, gemilut chesed, which is best translated, I think, works of loving kindness or acts of loving kindness. Think of the corporal works of mercy, right? So word, worship, and works of loving kindness. Now those three principles that the rabbis handed on to us, if you look carefully, you can kind of divide all of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter five, six, and seven, in terms of those three principles. So chapter five is a lot of things about God's word. You have heard it said this. You have heard it written that you should do this. I say this. It's all about Torah. It's all about God's law, God's word. A lot of chapter six is about avodah, service, worship, the way that you're supposed to fast, the way that you're supposed to pray, the way that you're supposed to give yourself to God. And then in chapter seven, it moves on to, you know, things like not judging lest you be judged and pulling the plank out of your own eye before you remove the splinter from your brother's eye, works of loving kindness toward others. But we're smack in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount now, which is all about service. And so when, when the sermon, when Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, talking about don't worry about your life, don't be stressed out about what you're going to wear. Don't be stressed out about where your next meal is coming from or the clothes you have on your back. It's a challenge not just of not worrying about things. It's a challenge of avodah. How will you serve God? You need to serve God by stepping forward in faith, literally not knowing what the next day holds. Can you avod the Lord by abandoning your identity in him, like the Corinthians are being asked to do? Can you avod the Lord by trusting like the Israelites in Isaiah are being asked to do, that the world is going to make sense someday, even if it doesn't now? This, this passage about lilies of the field and birds of the air, it's not just a don't worry, be happy passage. It is a can you serve God in this way too? Mm, can you pour yourself yeah. out in service of God by abandoning your needs and desires and identity to whatever it is that the Lord wants those to be for you. That is profound. I mean, that changes everything for me. And all of a sudden, now that it's framed as avad, not just don't worry, it becomes profoundly difficult, and, um, but profoundly beautiful and profoundly challenging and a, a whole different level of, of instruction than just Jesus sitting up on a hill saying, hey, everything's going to be cool. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it, uh, I I like the breakdown of being able to see you know um, the 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 words, the worship, and the works. And yeah. Like it's it's not just about um, okay. It's not just a, a divided heart. It's it's what are you get? Are you going to be in mission for what's real, or are you going to actually just? serve a grass-eating bullock are you you know like <laughs> you know like are you gonna do are you gonna allow your god to move and to transform you even at the level of character at the even at the level of personality like yeah. it, it like because because that's actually something that i find in my own life is like i get worried that i'm gonna lose my personality i mean yeah. I, if i if i lose my personality there's gonna be some shocked people but that's you know gonna get be, weird it's going to get weird. But at the same time, like I do, we do worry about like what makes me unique and individual. Like, yes. like, they're, like, cause it's so prized culturally for us that yes. to, to say, if I serve God, I, am I just going to be one of those like kind of anonymous Christian people? Like, <laughs> you, you know, yeah. the, 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 that's, that's now, you know, the Stepford wife of the, <laughs> of the modern world, you Pleasant know, Bill. Pleasant, yeah. Pleasantville, and and and, and like th that's something that we do have a, in an authentic capacity to say, um, 
is, am I going to be okay? And does God love me uniquely as me? And, and, and what I, what I've seen is there are things that you have to lose. And like, like, cause, cause we talk about, oh, you know, you'll become more unique if you serve Jesus Christ. Well, that's definitely true. You're not going to be able to conform to, to culture in the way that, which culture right now prizes things like authenticity, which means that you like um, what other people like. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> that, you, yeah, yeah, that, you, that you grow a beard and you wax it out and you make your own knives and, you know, <laughs> your brew own your own, you know, brew your own kombucha and, mm. you, you know, release all the gluten in your life because that's whatever, you know, and only eat organic. And then you can be totally unique. So, like, mm. it's like everybody is, else, like everybody else, which is like these things, which is like, no, no, no. We serve the Lord and the Lord may have a task for us that, um, that, that goes against what we prize at a core register in our lives. And it always entails dying in some sense. It does. It does. And, and that's what it means. I'm, am I going to serve God or mammon? Am I going to, but be, it, will God still provide for you? Even if he asks you to release something that you consider essential. <clears throat> yes. Th- th- that's, that's what he means uh, in, in a certain sense. Like but at the same time, I see a lot of very anxious um, Catholics. Mm. Like yeah. there's, there's just a lot of anxiety in the Catholic world. There's women well, who are anxious that they won't get men. There's men they, that, that they're anxious that they won't get women. And then there's a lot of, will I get my vocation? Will I understand? Will I be able to serve? Will, will I be able to understand are... God? Will I hear his voice? Like how, how do I get it? And like all of a sudden now there's no silence. Well, you and I also work with the most angsty demographic in the church today. Uh, that's true. But but it, the, the the angst is there nonetheless in the other populations. It it, it is it is and 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 yet, um, that's exactly why we go back to this idea of how is God communicating? We get into silence so that we can receive Him and we can open ourselves right. to all of the expression in creation. Right. All of the world makes Him known, and so right. don't. So it's so it says you know today's sufficient for a day is its own evil. Like no. today, there's a lot of stuff that you got to deal with. I got to deal with the debate. You got to deal with travel. There's all sorts of stuff that today. Okay, so we just deal with it today. I think that that's why like the twelve steps, Alcoholics Anonymous, Al Anon, yeah. and all that stuff it says one day at a time That's today it. is just like just look do you have some food okay good do you have some clothes okay do you like have some nourishment okay get into silence seek god and just do that today do that today yes. we're, we're not going to do tomorrow we're just going to do today yeah that's all, and that's all you can do. I mean, everything else that we try to do is just this false veneer that we put up. I mean, it, it's not reality. <laughs> Literally, the only thing that we can do is today. So we're, we're it's sort of a fool's errand when we think otherwise. And so what the Lord is kind of challenging us to live in is simply just reality. Like this is yeah. all you've got right now. You don't know what tomorrow holds. So yeah. live in the reality of that, and just trust me with it. Dude, I have to say, I really like your can-do um, attitude. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is terrible. I can do nothing. Uh-uh. Uh, well, well, I think uh, that that that's a sufficient for unto today and to today. <laughs> that is sufficient for today. Uh, well done on a sufficient podcast, Father Peter. Hey, well done, and thank you for tuning in, my lovely, lovely people. I didn't get to thank um, Rachel Perez, my trusty altar server, for her wonderful reflection that she gave me last week. Oh, actually, I did thank her, but then the podcast didn't work. So, um, awesome. Rachel, you're awesome, and um, 
uh, and all of you who have been sending in such wonderful, lovely emails, just yes. like helping us to to like keep encouraged and um, you know weather weather the storms of of all of the work that it, uh, it takes to put this out. Yeah, and we, and we I, I do want to just say, we get a lot of emails and we get a lot of messages on Facebook and stuff. We're not always able to respond to all of those, um, especially not in the manner that I wish we could and would like to because things are busy. Um, but just know that if you do send us emails or those messages, we do receive those. They mean a lot to us. You guys are in our prayers. We know that you're, our, that, that you're in our, wait, you're in our prayers, and we know that we're in your prayers as well. And, and you guys mean a tremendous amount to us. So please keep sending us the emails. I'll try to get better about responding to them. Um, but we do get all those, and we do hear all those things, and, and we, we pray for you guys all the time. Absolutely. God bless you, and uh, we'll see you in Lent. See you in Lent. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. The Word in the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www lankyguys.org. See you next week.